Hi, I'm Andrew Hargett. And I'm Zach Hargett. And you've joined us on To the Choir Master, a podcast examining our heart posture and musical worship. Thanks for joining us today. Um, today we're going to dive into Highlands, Song of Ascent by Hillsong United. Yeah, the song was released in 2019, but it feels like it's been out a lot longer than that. I feel like I've known about the song for a long time, but time uh, in 2020 was really weird. So uh, maybe that's why maybe it doesn't count. Uh, but really just such a good song. Uh, anything uh, of their stuff that has Benjamin Hastings on it as a writer is just so poetic and deep. Yeah, it's beautiful, all the metaphors in each verse that kind of combine to tell this really neat story of the gospel. Yeah, yeah, which actually, I don't know many churches that have been doing this song on Sunday mornings. Um, I don't think ours has done it. Uh, Logan and I might have done it at some acoustic thing some point, but I'm sure there are some that are doing this, but regardless, I think it's a great song to look at because of all those poetic metaphors and imagery. It's probably a bit wordy for the style of music that a lot of churches today play, but it's a bit like a hybrid between hymns and modern worship music. Yeah, I mean, regardless, it's a great song. I often listen to this song in the car or at home, and really since worship uh, can and should take place outside of Sunday morning gatherings, this would be a great song to add to your rotation, whether your church is doing it or not. Um yeah, we won't really have time to dive into everything in the song. Uh, some of the lines are definitely a sit and simmer type of imagery. Um, you know, it's it's something that makes the song though exceedingly beautiful. I think these images that are being drawn out. Uh, it's a relatively long song lyrically, uh, but it's only about five minutes long. I think because they don't do all these long, long repeats and instrumentals. Uh, but what's nice, it's nice about all this imagery and stuff is that in that five minutes, it actually has the potential to span your thoughts and the images way beyond what just five minutes of text could technically do. So like an example of that that we'll see is, you know, there's a line in the song, oh, how fast would you come running? And in that line, you know, what what that's doing is it's mentally pulling up uh, the idea of like a father running. Maybe the entire story of the prodigal son is being brought up in that so much basically is being packed into that one line where the song can span using metaphor beyond just the actual words on the page or words that you're singing and pull up all of these ideas about God from the story of the prodigal son. And so uh, that's kind of what part of why that sit and simmer on these lyrics uh, is a really good thing to do. Yeah, that's, that's really good. The other one that really stuck out to me right off the bat was in that, that second verse where he's talking about chasing rivers and being against the rush of grace descending. And then at the very end, he come, comes back to the idea of the river, of this mighty river flowing upwards and nowhere, no longer working against, but actually working with it. Yeah, yeah. Which this is really a great introduction on how the Bible is written and how we are meant to read it and digest it. Because because these metaphors force you when you listen to a song to say, what is this about? Let me sit and think about this. It's kind of like a, a diet version of what the whole Bible is doing, where the whole Bible is constantly having these hyperlinks or these spots where you're meant to go back and look at an entire other story. Uh, Paul and uh, the apostles do this regularly in their writings where they'll say, as is written, and then they'll give you one verse, and you're like, how does that verse 
have anything to do with this story. Well, they chose that one verse as a climax of an entire story, and you have to go back and know or read that entire story to get how that fits into their argument. And so it's just cool. This I think this song is a good way to practice some of that because it's maybe a little bit less complicated than some of the Bible's ones are, uh, but it helps you to see that, hey, there's a lot of things you could do if you catch what this is saying and link it back to other stories, you can get the full picture in a greater way. Right. And he actually pulls a lot of the similar symbolism from the Bible, mountains, trees, um, rivers, seas. Yeah. Stuff that we'll, we'll definitely look at, uh, throughout the podcast. So we'll, um, we'll dive into the chorus. We'll dive into the bridge first, uh, and start to build up some of that imagery for us. And then that'll actually help. Then when we go and look at each verse, we can see how those verses actually shape and change the lens of our praise in the choruses by those uh, the words of the verses. Well, we're going to start with the choruses and bridge, which is maybe a little bit different than what we often do, but that's very purposeful. So we're really just now going to build up some of this imagery that's in the chorus and in the bridge. And then as we go through the verses, we'll kind of see, hey, this gets shaped further and maybe shaped in different ways as we go. Um, so right off the bat, main image that you see throughout this song is the idea of a mountain, right? Which is probably part of why the song is named Highlands. Uh, so you get this idea of of a mountain. You get this temple imagery, this Eden type imagery where you've got uh, a place of worship to God in a high place. Um, I, I think of this all throughout the Bible, the burning bush where Moses encounters God on a mountain uh, in a burning bush. Um, and really, it's just it's something you see all throughout the Bible. Yeah, and I will add to that that high places are a very common thing in the Bible, both in a good way and a bad way. So sometimes it's you're on a high place praising God. Sometimes you're on a high place praising God something other than God. So kind of when we look at praise you on the mountain versus I'll praise you when the mountain's in my way, that high mm -hmm. place can be something where you're praising God or you're praising something that you, you think is good but is really not. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, uh, that's all throughout Scripture where you see that. And we're going to dive into that a little bit more in verse 1 for sure. Um, but I think in the chorus, what's neat is it's intentionally vague about what the mountain is. Uh, and, and maybe really, maybe even more so than vague, it, it uses both senses of that word. It's a, like a paradoxical language, which is all throughout right. this song, uh, where you see that the mountain is a place of praise and the mountain is something in the, that's in the way. And uh, I think that's something, yeah, the verses will help us to shape as we get into the choruses more and more. Yeah, that, that, that's super interesting. And then you get to the, you're the summit where my feet are, and you get kind of the, another part of that. So you're on the mountain, the mountain's in your way, and then suddenly... God is the summit where your feet are. So what does that mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really, really interesting. The uh, There's actually several places in Scripture where this idea of God placing your feet literally on a high place are found. Uh, it's actually pretty much quoted the same way in Psalm 1833, 2 Samuel 2234, and Habakkuk 3, 17 through 19, where they're actually uh, forming this image and using the same language, really. It's like the same words over and over again in different situations. I'll read the Habakkuk 3, 17 through 19 one, uh, just because I think that that one's really beautiful. It says, Though the fig tree should not blossom, 
nor fruit beyond the vines. The produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. So that so I'll stop pause there for a second. That's Habakkuk three seventeen, and that's all like though the world is failing basically around me. Every food source, every source of abundance that I have is failing. So then he continues in verse eighteen and says, "Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places." To the choir master with stringed instruments. So you see at the little end there that this is a song, uh, which is. Uh, yeah. Maybe it's another song of ascent, uh, but basically it's that same idea of though the world is falling apart around me, yet I will rejoice in the Lord because of my salvation and because this salvation is a means of by which he actually brings me up to the high places. And I lo- love like what you mentioned, this song actually takes and shifts that and says, uh, you know, you are the high place for me. Yeah, so that, that's great. So then that kind of closes out that first half of the chorus. So then it says, so I will praise you in the valleys all the same. Mm-hmm. Which is what Habakkuk was doing in, in that song. Um, it's basically that recognition that in the highs and the lows of life, uh, the song uses highlands and heartaches, um, that God is still worth being praised because he's brought about our salvation. Yeah, so then we move to that second half of the chorus, no less God within the shadows, no less faithful when the night leads me astray. So what what is your first takeaway from that? Yeah, the thing that came to me is how many people will look at stuff in their life and say, hey, this is going wrong, so therefore God is blank. You know, like they'll, they'll basically downplay God or God can't exist because of this bad thing going in my life. So I love the line here that says, you know, you're no less God, no matter what I'm going through. There's a ultimate truth of who God is and what he is. And uh, our circumstances don't shape that. What we think of him doesn't shape that. And uh, it's kind of just one of those logical fallacies of saying, you know, oh, if I'm not experiencing good, then therefore God can't exist. Whereas really what the Bible helps to bring is that the, uh, the real story of that is, oh, your paradigm with which you're looking at these things is wrong. And actually what this song starts to pull out is you're not actually less God. You're actually still worth being praised in these things because you've started to show me how these are working for me. Yeah, that's really good. So I've been reflecting on this quote I heard from Andy Stanley where he said, if God doesn't answer your prayers and you get angry at God, that him not answering your prayers does not say something about the character of God, but Mm -hmm. it says something about how you view the character of God. So this kind of shows that you know, it just reminds us that there is no less God within the shadows, and he's no less faithful when the night leads us straight. He's always there, and it's always a part of his design. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, I like that quote a lot. It kind of helps you to see that um, we ought to be trusting God such that we say, hey, I don't actually know what's best for my life. You do, and so therefore, if you don't answer me, then there's an implied trust of, therefore, I trust that that was probably the wrong thing to ask for. Um, maybe I need to work on getting more in line with your will or something like that. Where Basically, this this line is, is recognizing God's worth uh, as so high that the lows are not only worth it, but valuable to us because of who he is. Yeah, that's awesome. So as we, as we close out this chorus, the, the final lines are, because you're the heaven where my heart is, and the highlands and the heartache all the same. So what does it mean to you for, for God to be the heaven? Yeah, honestly, this was a 
confusing line to me a little bit. So I'll be interested to hear what, what your thoughts were. Um, because I was like, you know, the heaven, that's a interesting thing. I, I think the imagery that someone's being pulled here is the idea of heaven and Eden and paradise are all intertwined. Uh, I think that it's pulling in this idea that God being in uh, community with God, being in God's proximity in his presence is actually what we're desiring. Like we often think of heaven as like, oh, I want to be sitting on a beach, you know, watching the waves and, you know, playing volleyball and stuff like that. And that's what heaven would look like. And I don't know, maybe, but, but, but to me, it's looking at like, Hey, actually knowing and being around, like, like when, um, Adam and Eve were walking with God in the garden, like that's the goal. It's that's what heaven looks like. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think you're exactly right. So for me, when I was reflecting on this, him being the heaven goes back to that, that initial intention of being in that internal communion with him of how the, the ultimate design of how things were meant and kind of knowing that no matter where my heart is in the highlands, in the heartache, on top of the valley, um, on top of the mountain, on below the valley, with the mountain in my way, um, that his intention is always there. His design is always perfect and that we can we can take heart in that. Yeah. As we're looking at this, you know, try to grasp what the theme of the course is, because that the theme's not going to change. It's just going to be molded and shaped as we go through the verses. The the verse that came to mind, uh, or scripture that came to mind for me, kind of out of that idea of highlands and heartache, was Philippians four twelve through thirteen. I'll re- I'm going to read that. It says, and this is Paul speaking, um, in when he's in prison. It says, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And I think you could add there, I, you know, I've learned the secret of facing highlands and heartache, right? That's a, it's the same kind of concept there. And that secret, I think this song really helps grasp what that secret is, is that um, we're, we're, getting, we're building up all of this imagery of, of the temple and of garden of eden and of mountains and of praising god and it's saying you know god because of the salvation like like what habakkuk was praying because of that and because i I am so uh secured in you placing my feet upon the summit and in being in community with you ultimately i have the secret of facing highlands and heartache in one where i don't view you as less god but in fact i turn around and praise you for that so that to me is what the the theme of this course is, and then we'll we'll shape and, and see nuances to that as we continue. Yeah, I totally agree. So before we get to the verses, do you want to talk about the bridge a little bit? Because I think this kind of just amplifies what that theme that you just mentioned in the chorus. Yeah, absolutely. The The bridge, I think that same theme gets carried through where um, it, it just continues to say that like wherever I walk through, wherever I am, that's, that's coming back to that. Yeah, it doesn't actually matter. Highlands, heartache, anywhere in between, doesn't matter um, because... Your name can move mountains, which that's a very uh, packed line for sure. Right. That's a, a difficult one. Uh, there's a, a number of places in the Bible where they talk about moving mountains, and uh, Logan and I have, have spoken on that. There's It's referenced in a number of songs. There's a lot of songs that talk about moving mountains specifically. And um, I, I think pairing this line with the chorus is where you, you help to see um, you know, the... Second line of the chorus says, and I will praise you when the mountain is in my way. And then the bridge sings, you can move the mountain. And so that's why we can praise God when the mountain's in our way is because he can move them. Which, so then you have to start, I guess, you know, or, or get at what does the mountain look like in this circumstance? And um, I would say that this is where those mountains are either hindrances to us getting to God 
or maybe like we talked about with the high places as the negative light in scripture there are temptations uh to alternative forms of worship that won't lead where we're trying to go and so that's where you really see like um when jesus talks about the you know you'll be able to uh you know save from this mountain to go from here to there um he, he uses that a couple times in scripture but one of the times he's actually referring to jerusalem where they're trying to reach god through works and through um actually like their whole temple system and the pharisee system and so he's saying you can actually get rid of this temptation anytime you have temptations to worship uh or try to get to god via some other route you'll be able to move that mountain through my name yeah absolutely and another thing I just want to point out with all of this is going back to that that poetry, that symmetry, the the repetitive between the chorus and the bridge. You, you mentioned the praise you when the mountain is in my way, and then he talks about your name can move the mountains. But it does it throughout the chorus and the bridge where it talks about wherever I am, you're the summit where my feet are. Um, and if I ever walk through the valley of death, the I'll praise you in the valley is all the same. There's no less God within the shadows. So therefore, I will then sing through the shadows. Yeah, the shadows and valleys are used very much the same. It's different images for like the same idea, I would say. Um, both of both of which, because I, I think we get in our minds this idea of like a dark valley, right? And um, that's something where the song of ascent is basically being pulled out of those shadows, out of the valleys, and into the light and the high places. Um, and so that's really what the song is going to get at: is this idea that. Um, we have a future ascension to look forward to and and we're going to see why that is as we continue to look into the the verses but we have a future ascension to look forward to where we're going to come out of those valleys we're going to come out of the shadows the mountains are no longer going to be in our way but we'll be able to praise god upon the high places So we're going to start off with verse one, maybe two, maybe three, or maybe it's pre-course one. I'm not really sure exactly how they count all this. I think it's verse one, two, and pre-course one uh, leading into this. What is the main theme that's starting to be formed through all this imagery. Yeah, so I think the big thing here is showcasing that separation between deity and man. And you see this through a lot of the symbolism between the the height of mountains, the scaling valleys, chasing rivers, um, highlands, and it really shows that post-Eden world of Mm -hmm. there is now a separation between man and God. And I think one thing that you can think about here is all the little g gods and all the idols and how there also is that separation um but the, you actually have to fight you have to climb those mountains yourself you have to chase these rivers you have to be a warrior you have to be righteous and you have to basically it's all on you to get to them mm-hmm. um and man's longing is to do that for god um and then you kind of get to that that very ending phrase there yeah it's, it's really interesting uh to, to see really how all of man throughout all of history has has perceived this gap and has longed to close it. And that's why there's that willingness to climb mountains, to offer these child sacrifices to 
idols and graven images that we've carved ourselves out of wood. Um, I think Ecclesiastes 3.11 really captures this well. Uh, it starts with saying, He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, He has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. And so that, to me, is this God-given awareness that there's something more. We, we know of eternity, and there's a hope to be free from Ecclesiastes. You know, the, the word, if you had to put a, a word on Ecclesiastes, right, it'd be vanity, right? So it's, there's a hope to be free from the vanity of the world, the futile uh, efforts or the just meaninglessness of the things that are going on. All of us have this sense that, hey, life isn't just totally meaningless. There's not just nothing happening. There's got to be something more out there, something more before me, something more after me, something more going on around me. So that's what Ecclesiastes 3.11 is all about. And so the story of man has been, we all feel that, you know, animals don't, don't feel that. At least I don't think my dog does, but we, we all feel that. And so we look to see how can we get there and is it climbing mountains and making sacrifices on the high places even? Yeah. And I think without Yahweh, it stops at the first two verses where it's, it basically stops with you trying to climb these mountains and scaling the valleys and rushing against the, the current of the river. Um, but in, in the scope of Yahweh with the God we serve, you, you get that last piece because in the highlands and the heartache, you're neither more or less inclined. I would search and stop at nothing, but Yahweh's just not that hard to find. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's really cool. It, what's interesting to me too is uh, what we mentioned a little bit with the chorus that the high places are both a place that we can praise God or a place that can be a false worship. And so, like you said, like with, but with Yahweh, these things are this, uh, with the false gods, these things can actually be places of false worship. And, uh, they used to always confuse me whenever I would read through the Bible, you would see, oh, you know, such and such King did, did well in the eyes of the Lord, except they didn't, they did not remove the high places. I was like, what, is, what does that even mean? And there's several passages that I want to read out that you can kind of see this. And the first is 1 Kings 3, 2 through 3, where it says, The people were sacrificing at the high places, however, because no house had been built for the name of the Lord. Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of David his father. Only he sacrificed and made offerings at the high places. And so what you see there in this one is like there's no place dedicated for worship to, to the Lord, to Yahweh. So the people are just going to high places thinking, hey, this gets me closer to God or gods, and uh, they're sacrificing there. And you really see then it's said in a bad light of, hey, Solomon's walking in line with the Lord, except he was sacrificing on the high places too. And that's where you really start to see, hey, this is this is not a good thing. And then Leviticus 26.30 says, and I will destroy your high places and cut down your incense altars and cast your dead bodies upon the dead bodies of your idols, and my soul will abhor you. And now you see Oh, this is this is really not a good place. All right, these high places are really not good. Uh, God's going to destroy those, and uh, like you said, like the idols that are are there. Um, that's what that's what you see in Leviticus here. That's what's at those high places. The people are have built incense altars uh, to idols, and so God is going to destroy those places and cut them down. And then Deuteronomy twelve two says. Uh, where he's speaking about Israel going out to other places. He says, You shall surely destroy all the places where the nations whom you shall dispossess serve their gods, on the high mountains and on the hills and under every green tree. And so those are that's what the high places physically looked like, was high mountains and hills and under green trees where they would build the Ashtoreth and things like that to worship other gods. 
um, in a flipped, you know, literally flipped uh, version of Eden, uh, where they were, you know, doing uh, doing uh, worship and doing temple stuff to the wrong places and the, to the wrong gods. As we zoom out a little bit on this this first portion of verse, moving into that the chorus kind of ends with "You're just not that hard to find," and then moves into this chorus that has this mm-hmm. theme of praising God no matter where we're at in the highlands and the heartache. How does this lens affect your praise? Yeah, the it it helps to shape what the mountain imagery was in the chorus. Like we said, it's a little bit vague or maybe paradoxical or maybe looking at mountains in multiple senses. And here, all of this kind of helps me see and grasp what the mountains in my way look like. It's those, the mountains in my way are these things where we're trying to get to God via the wrong routes. Like we're willing to search and search and try to get to God, but we're doing it under our own terms. Like where we think, oh, to get to God, I need to build a really tall tower, right? That's what Babel was. Or, Or I need to climb and scale this really big mountain. And what you see is the mountains then are... That, that are in our way are our temptations to seek God on our own terms. And so I think instead uh, we can praise God as the source and the giver of, of all of the, of everything that's seated at the throne on top of the mountain. And so this, it just helps me, this verse kind of helps me shape that, what these two different mountains maybe would look like. Yeah. And I think for me, um, a little, a little different take on it is looking at that, that separation. And then that final line is, is, it shows me that yes, I have this longing to be with God, and there is the separation right now between us. But it is—it's two ways, and He also wants to be with me. He wants that communion with me. Mm-hmm. So as I enter into that chorus, it's you're not—you're just not that hard to find. Not because I'm doing a really good job of finding Him, but because He's also um, pursuing me as well. Yeah, that's good because it basically points out you're not that hard to find. Is that's why we can praise Him on Highlands and the heartaches because. It's not it's not necessary that we're in a specific place or that we're in a specific frame of mind necessarily, like that or that we're having a certain degree of success. We can praise God uh, in any ways, in all places. And um, so yeah, that's really cool. Well, what one last thing then before we close out this verse, because there's another awesome metaphor that's being built up, and that's the one of water. So in, in the song it talks about, um, from lowly seas to where they rise, against the rush of grace descending. And this is just such an awesome metaphor in this song. What I'm seeing when I'm looking at all of these words in this verse is there's like this sea of water, right? This oasis basically in the desert. And then you've got these streams that are filling it. And what we do is we see this oasis, and whenever God calls us to himself, whenever we start to recognize the true God that's worthy of worship is when we see these, this oasis, not just as something to enjoy, but as something to turn and follow and look for that source. And so we follow these, these, uh, sources of, uh, grace descending, right? Which are these like streams looking for the source itself. Um, and so water imagery like this is used all over the Bible. Uh, Isaiah in particular uses water and thirst in a desert to describe our nature of salvation. Jesus himself is then revealed as the source of, uh, and the living water of eternal life uh, in like John 4, 14 and like the woman at the well. You see this continued in the Revelation in several places where, uh, you know, the, the, the streams of living water are flowing freely and available to everyone. And uh, so it's really cool. It, kind of as a quick aside with that, 
to me, this parallels with, um, you've seen some of those movies where they, they're looking for a fountain of youth yeah, or, uh, it's, is it El Dorado or something like that? They're looking for, uh, in somewhere in South America, this fountain of youth and they're looking for the chalice that Jesus drank out of. And it's this crazy adventure, um, Indiana Jones, right? He goes on all these crazy adventures looking for these things and they're really narrow, uh, it passes and he's, you know, barely escapes with his life and it's really hard. And so what, what this song I think helps point out is, Hey, you, you've been searching for the fountain of youth, but it's not that hard to find, right? That that's, that's the vibe I'm getting from this song is like, you just, if you just follow the source of water, which is the grace, which are the good things of God, and then you follow it back, you can actually find the source fully available to you. Yeah, I, I love that, and I love how you mentioned that Jesus Christ was the source, because um, that's going to come back up in a later verse. Yeah, absolutely. Which, um, And then he, he's the source, and then we actually become those streams. So like John 7, 37 through 39 would talk about how we actually then have streams of living water that flow out of us. So what you can kind of see is the, the, that oasis in the desert is God's grace that's manifest and available to all people. And if they turn and look for the source, Christians, uh, those who have living water, are these streams by which people can find the source, which is Jesus Christ. So it's just awesome imagery to think about that water. That's constant throughout the Bible. I love that they included that in the song, especially with mountains, because like mountains are where water typically flows down from and i've always whenever we go hiking i'm always trying to find where does the water all come from and uh you know you could search and search and search but um it's one of those things where uh there's a specific way by which god has made the source available to us and we will definitely see that in future verses Ephesians 2, 1 through 7 says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love for which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. I wanted to start just with reading that passage, because I feel like for verse 3, it's just like that's what lines 1 and 2 is all about. Right. The, the how far beneath your glory is where we're talking about you were dead in trespasses and sin. Like how far beneath was God is, is what life is and love. And we were dead in sins. So that's, that's the, the, the difference. And then it, Ephesians, uh, that passage I read, uh, ends with the, that he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness. Right. So that's where you see this, how far does your grace extend? And so I think the, if you put a question mark on this, is how far beneath your glory does your kindness extend apart? If you were to put a question mark right there, 
you could give the classic Sunday school answer of like how far? Well, Jesus Christ, like that's how far. Like he offered up his own son um, by by grace through faith. Uh, we are able to be saved uh, by him, and that's really what these next verses and pre-course are really going to start looking at. Yeah, and I think to kind of continue on a little bit, looking at that that next part. Oh, how fast would you come running if just the shadow me through the night? You see this immediate parallel back to the chorus when it says, "No less God within the shadows, no less faithful when the night leads me astray." So you see these these parallel words, shadow and night. So in the chorus, there's this this thought of there. Well, there's no less God within the shadows, and He's no less faithful when the night leads me astray. But in the verse, it's God is the one that's coming to shadow you through the night. Um, I think back to something really cool I've heard recently about testing and trialing, about how we think of testing as a pass-fail and we're failing as we're getting trialed and tests, but really God views it as a way to correct and to grow you and really ultimately to glorify Him. So I thought that was really cool to kind of point back to how God is shadowing us through the night to help improve us and to glorify Him. And then as He's tracing our steps, through all of our failure that we view as failure, but he really views as correction. Yeah, I love that reminder that, hey, if you're seeing the same word, shadow, uh, we ought to think back to the chorus where they that was used. Because that's kind of what we talked about in the intro, of that, that, you know, how fast would you come running? We ought to be pulling up in our minds the whole story of the prodigal son and that. And then the shadow, we ought to be pulling up, well, what, what have we already been singing about and reading about in shadows? And you start to see... That there's they're they're linked that they're similar, but they're also there's a twist on them, right? So that you see that in design patterns throughout the Bible. Uh, one of the ones that was really interesting to me was like Egypt, right? Every time the people end up going to Egypt, things really bad happen uh, to them in, in Israel. Um, but then uh, with Jesus, where does he go to escape Israel? Whenever Israel's going to kill him, he goes to Egypt as a baby, right? So there's this flip, and I think that there's a little bit of that going on here in this verse where let's take this this thing about we think of shadows as bad and now say oh yeah the reason you're like you said the, the reason you're no less god is because we're going to flip that idea of a shadow and actually use it for something good so it's just super cool imagery metaphors yeah so and then if we look at trace my steps through all my failure and walk me out the other side it kind of leads into the next pre-course where if you think of throughout the entire old testament it's just failure after failure and really thinking back to how God was there tracing all those steps to lead all of us out to the other side, which then leads to that, that question for who could dare ascend that mountain, that valley hill called Calvary. Yeah. I'm going to read off this pre-chorus or verse six or whatever it is. Uh, it's just, it's so good. And, and I think that this really captures a lot of what the, this section's about. So it says, for who could dare ascend that mountain, that valleyed hill called Calvary, but for the one I call good shepherd, who like a lamb was slain for me. So who could do this except for the one I call good shepherd? And this is where you really start to see that this is all about Jesus Christ. This is all about what he has done for us. He's the good shepherd who could dare ascend that mountain. Yeah, I mean, you see this throughout all the Old Testament. Again, you see Moses who went up on the mountain. Actually, he offered his life, and and, yeah. and God said, "No, you're not the one. You know, yeah. um, the one is coming. It's not you. I, you need to be the bl- the blameless one, the perfect one, which was Jesus." Yeah, that brings up a good point. That why is it that no one could dare ascend that mountain? Because in some ways, you might would point out with that passage you mentioned. Oh, well, it looks like Moses would dare. Like he he offered it up. 
Um, there's there's some definite nuances to that story where, uh, you know, in many ways, you know, Moses is super frustrated all the time, and he's just like, ah, just kill me, God, if this is the way it's going to be, right? But the I think the depths of of all of this are such that. Um, no one could ascend the mountain, like what you mentioned with Moses. Like he literally wasn't perfect enough to ascend the mountain. Like if if he did, it wouldn't be for any good because it's like okay, well you you ascend this mountain, but you're not a, like a lamb. You're you're more of a spotted lamb, uh, right? There's also yeah. um, uh, that maybe nobody's willing to ascend the mountain because it would mean death. You know, so Moses was willing to die, but many many others were not willing to die for the people. Uh, and then there's also many that you know don't trust God that they're going to come out the other side if they were to try to dare ascend the mountain. And um, so I think there's a lot of different ways that you could look at that. Well, who could dare ascend the mountain? But the, the main purpose of course is being that at the end of the day, nobody could yeah. accept Jesus Christ. And I, I think it kind of also points back to the very first verse of, Oh, how high would I climb mountains of that mm-hmm. longing to, but it also takes a weight off of you of, I don't need to um, cause I, I can't, but, someone already did that for me ah yeah that's good that's a good hyperlink to think about and pull out again of like hey i'm willing to do all of this and then he he changes the story a little bit later he's like yeah who would even dare try that right and uh you know i yeah it's just it's that's really really good i also my favorite line in this whole song is that valleyed hill called calvary because valleyed hill is just such good paradoxical language Right, because you can't have a valley and a hill simultaneously. You can have a, a valley beside a hill. A valley, you know, can lead into a hill, or a hill, having a hill means that you've got valleys around it. But a valleyed hill um, is just is really good, and it's not a contradiction. It just means that we're looking at it the wrong way. It, it's um, it's it's a paradox. And so this really, the Calvary is a valleyed hill. Uh, it's a valley because the the depths of our sin that led to killing Jesus, right? In many ways, it's a low point. It's when the shadows literally came in and covered the whole earth, right? The earth shook, and it's a low point in the earth's history. But it's also a high point in earth's history. That's why we, just coming off Easter, we celebrated literally Calvary um, because it was a hill. It was a high place where a sacrifice for sins was given once and for all, and now it's actually a place of triumph. So just such awesome... uh, paradoxical language there yeah so as we we think about the lens of this second portion of verses how does that lead into the chorus i know we've talked about it a little bit but maybe summarize it for us yeah so to me the main thing that i got was seeing the mountains that are being talked about in the chorus not just as maybe temple or um, eden type languages uh, but looking at it specifically as uh, Golgotha or Calvary as what what mountain was in our way was the inability to ascend that mountain right the uh, of of making a sacrifice for sins the, of being able to reach God um, and so then it just it adds a nuance to where we see the mountain upon which we're praising uh, God is effectively Calvary in a spiritual sense and that was the very mountain that was in our way so it's just another way to look at that yeah, so I think, you know, the first verses we have, there's a separation between us and God. We have an understanding that we want to close that separation. God wants to close that separation. And then you reach the second verses where it leads to ultimately Jesus Christ being the sacrifice. And then now that very last verse that we're about to go into really kind of 
shows the result and the consequence and the reward of all of that. Come the pastures we call grace A mighty river flowing upward From a deep but empty grave From the gravest of all valleys come the pasture we call grace A mighty river flowing upward from a deep but empty grave so this is where you see that that mighty river flowing upward. So you get that source of the river flowing from that deep and empty grave. And it goes back to how you said Jesus Christ was the source of this water. So maybe talk a little bit more about that and the other symbolism in this final verse. Yeah, sure. This verse finishes out so many of the metaphors in the song. It just rounds them all out. You've got valleys. You've got mountains from the you know, river flowing upward. How's it flowing upward? Unless it's a waterfall, it's going up a mountain, right? Um, you've got the, the river idea. So it's just it's finishing out all of these metaphors. And the mighty river flowing upward is very much so where you see just like this, again, paradox of out of something empty, out of this empty grave is coming the source of life. And that's going and leading up the mountain to that ultimate high place, that ultimate Eden um, where God can, will be worshipped forever and ever. And so in many ways, um, this is where you see like, we just have to hop in the river, right? Maybe some symbolism there with baptism even of, of being led up to the proper high place and the proper way of worshiping God. So um, really it's just a, it's a really cool thing where all of this is also pointing out the ascension of Christ, right? The, the river flowing up could also be Christ's ascension to heaven. And Paul talks a lot about of if Christ ascended into heaven and if he has a physical body and he is spiritually alive, how, how will we not also partake in these things of being also lifted up? And so to me, this, this kind of rounds out that imagery and saying we can be sure that we will also ascend because Christ has ascended, uh, just like Habakkuk talked about. And because of that, we can praise him when the world's falling apart uh, because we're sure of our salvation. Yeah, so maybe I'll, I'll just close with going back to the chorus where it says, you're the heaven where my heart is. Mm-hmm. And this kind of adds even more light on what it means for, for God to be the heaven where our heart is. And, and that assurance of our ascension of that Jesus Christ came and sacrificed his life so that we may climb that valley, they'll climb that mountain as well, I think it says a lot in that chorus. Well, thank you for joining us on another episode of To the Choir Master. We hope you guys have enjoyed uh, listening to the Highlands. And if you haven't heard it before, definitely recommend go give it a listen now. You can find it on YouTube, Spotify, a lot of different places, anywhere Hillsong's music is. And uh, if you like this this type of music, I know this is maybe a little bit different from what a lot of you guys would do on Sunday mornings. Um, you can definitely go find other stuff that Benjamin Hastings has written that's been or been a writer on. There's other writers that are involved, but. Uh, some of his other stuff that's our favorites are Seasons, um, So Will I. Those are all these really poetic, really deep songs that are meant to cause us to sit and simmer. And ultimately, we hope that this would lead you to want to do this type of thing with Scripture itself, to where you would look and see all of the different ways these things are linked and the, the way these metaphors flow through Scripture and uh, sit and simmer on Scripture. So that's our hope. Um, 
And uh, if you like this episode, you can also join us every Tuesday. We'll have episodes on different songs, often ones that we would sing on Sunday mornings, but also stuff that you might hear on the radio or listen to at home or in the car. And then on Thursdays or every other Thursday, we have our Grace Notes where we look at other aspects of worship or how different uh, things in our life affect or uh, play into our worship. So definitely invite you guys to like, uh, subscribe uh, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you find podcasts to check us out. You can also connect with us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, uh, or shoot us an email. We're uh, at team at tothechoirmaster.com. That's T-E-A-M at tothechoirmaster.com. And this, uh, this episode should be going live on our website now, which is at tothechoirmaster.com. And you can check out uh, many of our archives there, uh, some articles, devotions, things like that that are coming out. So we look forward to connecting with you guys and hope that those things can be a resource to you. In the high